This is a CW Spiral, a podcast run by two Barchies and a Bughead. We're your hosts, Sabrina Reed, Michael Patterson, and Reed Gowden, bringing you history about the network, the latest news, and in-depth spoiler-filled discussions of some of our favorite shows on the CW. So we are here to finish our Nancy journey. I cannot believe that uh, it has come so quickly that we have now reached the point where everybody else is. But um, as usual, Nancy is at the end of the pod. First, we have CW news, which is not news that anyone who watches the CW wanted, but we're here. Uh, it's been confirmed that FBoy Island season three is coming to the CW and it's coming in the fall. And they're also doing F Girl Island, the spinoff, which is coming in the mid season, which means that next two um, primetime slots for the 2023-2024 television schedule um, for the fall, we have F-Boy Island and we have Sullivan's Crossing. I mean, I don't hate it for the simple fact is a lot of the stuff that the CW has been doing lately has been given the vibes. Yeah, that'll do. We'll fill that slot. We'll fill that hole, whatever. Whereas the fact that we have this now confirmed for the fall and we know the spinoff is coming as well. It, it shows like effort and that they're, they're planning beyond just the TV season. And considering they haven't even planned this TV season yet, at least to our knowledge, that's kind of promising. I I won't be watching the show, but I feel like as far as branding goes, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, like you said, I won't be watching, but I feel like if there's any direction that we can go in, I feel like we've said this before about mm-hmm. the, these shows. Like, I feel like an unscripted, trashy reality dating show is what's hot on the market right now. Mm-hmm. It's like, good choice. Maybe we all won't be watching, but some people will watch. <laughs> And it makes sense for their unscripted. Um, everything they've been doing recently is like stuff that you wouldn't, it is, would be geared more towards the older audiences. Like, um, of course, there's the last season of Whose Line Is It Anyway that is going right now. And then it's always the, um, oh, what's the other bit of content? It's the joke show. Oh, yeah. And we have the magic shows too. So FY Island feels very geared towards a younger audience who loves a good reality show and is enjoying them on other platforms, maybe even on other networks. But CW hasn't had one in, what, a decade? So now they get to enjoy it. Yeah, we we can't forget that this feels awfully like the CW's humble beginnings. Like, they had a lot of unscripted shows when they launched in 2007. Like, it's part of their DNA specifically this kind of show so i'm like it makes sense they were just they just didn't do it for the past few years because they had so many hit scripted shows but now that we're in this era it's like well it's not far off from where we began that's true i wonder with it being an unscripted show that with both of them filming back to back they're going to be fine presumably during the strike because reality shows are are usually okay. Um, for anyone who's not aware, the Writers Guild of America is currently striking. So a lot of scripted programming is going to be, be halted in terms of season starting production, um, which again, probably not a problem for the CW. Uh, obviously, All American is going to have an issue later on if it progresses, but everything else they've greenlit um, to be on the CW is an acquisition. We actually have no idea what the scripted dramas coming back that are actual CW originals are going to be doing. It's as we record, well, actually with time this pops up on your feed, what is it? Monday is the 8th. Hopefully we have news by then. 
about what's coming back with CW. Um, and then we can start panicking about whether or not we're going to be pushed into November for shows. Um, the CW usually does October releases, so they're in a better spot than the other networks. Uh, but there is literally nothing else as in terms of news when it comes to CW, even though they've been dropping um, news, just waiting for the shows to get renewed or canceled. You know what? As much as I want news, I'm kind of okay with it not coming yet because I'm like, I mentally, emotionally, and spiritually can't deal with unpacking the implications of more cancellations or renewals. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm too tired right now. Give me another week. I'm like, in this moment, I'm like, I'm fine with no news. <laughs> but I also like deeply want it. But I'm like, mm -hmm. I want to avoid it as long as I can because I don't feel like it's going to be all good news. Unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Uh, but to move into what we're watching, we're starting, well, with Superman and Lois, episode seven of the third season. Um, I think that they've been handling this cancer storyline for Lois rather well. I thought we were once again on time for another member of the family to start to spiral. And Jonathan's arc for the episode was really well done. Mm -hmm. Michael Bishop's performance. Can we take just a moment to appreciate that when uh, Jonathan questioned Lois and Clark out in the farm? What what a moment. I knew when me saw those promo stills released that that was going to be intense an intense scene, but I don't think any of us kind of anticipated it to be that intense. The show doesn't beat around the bush and it doesn't make you wait too long. It it, it you, you feel like a natural progression of storylines when things like this come into play. And like Sabrina just said, that felt like the right moment for Jonathan to kind of get his moment because we saw he's had a lot. He's been going through a lot and the show's kind of been a bit delayed catching up to him. Last week, he kind of got to address what he was going through. This week, now that he kind of got that out of the way, he was able to focus on his family. And it was an intense episode for Clark and Lois. And you always get to see all the different sides of the family, uh, their, their points of views from it. But I feel like Jonathan's probably the one we always get to see the least. So for him to have such a powerful episode and that Jordan maybe had to be the one to kind of hold him back, even even though he he may have went too far in what he said, but he, he's completely understand. It's a completely understandable for him to feel that way, and you couldn't help but relate to him because what an incredible performance! I love the scene in the fortress too when mm -hmm. the boys were talking to. That's Clark's mom, right? The mm -hmm. hologram, <laughs> yeah, Lara. I think her name is yeah. <laughs> and then Clark shows up, and they essentially kind of like accuse him of not caring about Lois as much as they do and he's like whoa 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 <laughs> <laughs> she's first on the call sheet you it's like lois and then you two like I, that's the vibe i got from the scene and i loved it i love how much she shows up for lois even against their own children where they're saying like oh you don't care about her and he's like she's all i care about but like not too much on me now like come on we're all going through this like i love your mother I, I just, I love that scene in the, the look on Jonathan's face where he was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> whoops. <laughs> he had those like puppy dog eyes out the whole episode, which was great. Yeah. And I love how, um, as a father, Clark is trying to be understanding, but what you will not do is question my love for your mother. I, I get Jonathan's position though, because he's like, you have all of this technology that you could use for mom and you're not doing that. Um, and She's human, though. I feel like that's one of the things that, like, this episode did well was, like, to really hit home that even with access to all this technology, she can't use it. Like, there are, like, two things against her. There's if she uses it, it's like a, um, almost like a cheat. I think she can't give it to anybody else. And then um, even if she uses it, it could kill her faster than chemo would. 
Like it could, mm-hmm. uh, uh, they have no idea what would happen if they tried to use Kryptonian technology on Lois. And Jonathan's desperation in that scene was amazing. I just felt like there was also such great weight to the decisions that Clark and Lois have had to make. I mean, how heartbreaking it is for both of them to be aware of what he could do if she wasn't human, but she mm-hmm. is. So they can't access this technology. It was such an interesting conflict because like there is a chance Lois could survive it. But again, it goes back to the whole, but I'm a human and you're superhuman. It wasn't designed for me. But then they weren't being totally upfront with their kids because at the end you find out that there is a chance that it could work. But if it does logically as heroes and good people, can they deprive this technology from the rest of humanity? But at the same time, when weapons or powers like that fall into the hands of humanity, that could create its own conflicts. So again, it's just a, a family conversation in, in, in a farmhouse. There's You just feel the weight of the world from it because there are so many different aspects of it, layers to it. And you understood everybody's point of view. This is one of the things that the show does so well. Sarah aside, you, do, you see where everyone is coming from in general that you can't be like, leave them alone, Jonathan, or don't be so mean, Clark. You can see the character story that builds up to them. You know what they're going through. And it it feels like such a natural story. We all fall out with people we love over time. It doesn't mean you're being mean or you're being uh, cruel to them. You can be as a result, but that's not the cause. And there was just such a, like, I love the Kent conversations. It's just, the family is so wonderful and you can't help but feel, but also champion every single one of them. So, I mean, Jonathan did go out a step out of line from time to time, but he wasn't really at fault. You can't fault him for what he's going through, if you get what I mean. Yeah, he's just processing his feelings. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, um, visually, not seeing Clark as Superman in this episode really made that feel grounded. And, like, they're begging him to be Superman. He's like, he can't be here right now. <laughs> like... <laughs> We're not using Kryptonian. This is beyond that. This is human. And I know you picked up on that, Sabrina, that like, oh, he's not suiting up this episode. And thinking about it, I'm like, that, I don't know if they intended it to be that way. Just my reading of it is like, it was just so much more successful telling this family story without seeing him in a cape. Mm-hmm. Like without seeing him be Superman because he can't be in this instance. Mm-hmm. And that's what's really interesting because the last two episodes have been very family focused, very heavy story driven. And then in the final act, you get that typical Superman saving the day, whether it was deadline breaking of the DEO or that showdown with Onomatopoeia last week. So they, they definitely managed to fit it in. But this episode was almost too heavy and too emotional that we didn't need to see Superman save the day at the end of it. The whole point of that is that he feels helpless. Yes, I'm sure he is uh, swooping around the world that we don't see it, but that, it's not important to the story right now because Superman is going through his own thing with his own family and he, he can't save anybody in this situation. He has to hope that uh, the human medical treatment will save Lois in the end and that she will fight through it because having all these superpowers and he, he can't save her. And I just want to get hop on my soapbox a moment because I've seen the predictable comments online saying the show's turning into a t- typical C- CW teen drama. No superheroes. I didn't watch Superman to see all this. And you're like, no, it's telling incredible award-worthy storylines far superior than your typical run-of-the-mill Superman movie ever could. And it's 
it's not just a superhero show. Everyone's not praising Superman at Lois because of its cutting edge CGI, which, yes, is a cut above what you'd see on the CW. They're praising Superman at Lois because of how well it balances the storylines, how well it balances the characters, how it can make you feel one thing and like emotionally broken in one moment, but also go, yeah, get him, Superman, in the next moment. This show does everything and if it wants to lean in one of those directions in one week for the the good of the overall storyline it darn well should the best family dramas ever do always do that and i it really bothers me when people say this because this is not your typical cw show this is not your typical superhero show this is a the perfect blend which none of us ever thought was possible and we, we've somehow managed to get it so i don't like to see people criticize a show for taking the time to tell important stories because that's exactly what superman and lois is Speak and this, it. so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> loves Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's he's both Superman and Clark Kent. I appreciate that about Superman and Lois because um, it doesn't feel like oh yeah he's Clark but he's Superman. We care more about his superpowers and his superpowered storylines than we do about him as um, a citizen of Smallville, a father, a husband, a friend. Uh, he got to be a reporter in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and he which is so a cute with his little notebook, <laughs> and he's a good one. He's a darn good reporter, mm. which is something that I think in Superman stories often gets lost. It's kind of just like there for aesthetic or for him to be, which he should always be Lois Lane's sidekick on reporting. But like, it's just they never really they don't tend to give him the opportunity to do a story on his own. And he's like, you know what? Let's just weaponize my adorableness and go over to Bruno's and get some like information. So like. Yes, be on your soapbox, Michael. Because if there's okay. one, this is not a teen drama Mm-mm. at all. It has teens in it, and there is teen drama in it, but it's not a teen drama. And two, I don't think I've ever seen a superhero show quite like Superman and Lois. Like, ever. Yeah, I feel like just knowing what the show has been since the pilot, like, you have to leave space for the show to succeed in the quieter moments. Even if it's just for an episode in the middle of the season, like this episode served a purpose. It was quieter. It gave us information. It gave us character development. And I mean, it probably does have to do with budget too. Like you can't every episode <laughs> on a CW series, like go crazy. Like you just can't have all that CGI in every episode. Cause I mean, it's a business at the end of the day, but like the quieter moments are just as nice as the big fight sequences. And I think in this episode, that was more apparent than, but I mean, they do this all the time and they've done it a lot this season. But this episode, I think for me was like, I can appreciate when it's loud and I can appreciate when it's quiet. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the beauty of the show because it was pitched as a, it was pitched as a Superman and Lois Lane after they get their happy ever after after the credits rolled on the first movie or after the credits rolled or the book was closed on their first adventure. Like the the DC universe is rebooting Superman now and we're probably going to see that new Superman take on Lex Luthor or Doomsday or one of those typical Superman villains. Superman at Lois, he's done all that. He's found happiness with Lois. He's kept his secrets for years and they had children together and lived a happy life. That's why this show was so different and revolutionary. We've never seen this side of the story. We've seen all the old Superman movies. We've seen the Lois and Clark TV series in the 90s. All of them have told the beginning of the Superman story. Nobody's told the middle or the end of it. So I just think this is such an incredible 
opportunity to tell stories we've never told before. And to go back to the whole Clark being a reporter thing, I love that because I recently started watching Lois and Clark and I know also about the 50s shows as well. The whole point is that Lois Lynn and Clark Kent are trying to outscoop each other for storylines in the early chapters of their career. Whereas this time, they're a total unit as reporters. We don't get to see Clark report that much, but Lois felt like she'd made a mistake by questioning Pia too much. And Clark was like, sit back, relax, I got this. So one reporter was able to delegate to the other one. They are such a unit and so much more than your typical Superman at Lois Lane story. I don't think the show gets enough credit for doing that. Lois and Clark are the most iconic couple in all of comic books. But this show is telling a different side to that story and managing to use so many of those iconic moments in it as well. I just think it's wonderful. And so to get to see Clark be a reporter because he was trying to get Lois to chill out and relax and look after herself. That's a side to the story you don't see that much. And again, it's the little things in this episode that really made it shine for me. Okay, but wait, what did you guys think of the Bruno-Pia situation? The love story? I don't, I don't know what to think about anything that happened. <laughs> <laughs> for me, I felt like they wanted to do a juxtaposition of Lois and Clark, except make it, you know, villains. Like, so we're in... We want to do good, but we're going to do good through crime. Like, mm-hmm. the, um, it was in, she, Pia seemed to be in a superior, superior position than Bruno, I think. I was trying to figure out the mobster hierarchy, um, but it did seem like she might have been the big boss's right-hand man, and Bruno was, like, up and coming and was asking her to come to his side, which I thought that was intriguing. I don't know if I necessarily, like, it's not a love story that I'm attached to, but it's an interesting one to mm-hmm. me because it, it takes into account like what do you do as a person we've always had to do the wrong thing in order to move forward in life but you really love your community and you really want to help them so you're like why don't we just organize a community of baddies who are like no one takes care of us so we'll take care of our community and everyone can say something about us like wheeling and dealing in the back room but are you the one making hospitals are you the one um getting the streets cleaned up you're not so yeah i'm a criminal but i do good for my community and it is what it is i like that about the both of them mm-hmm. i feel i've said this before bruno is such a um, cardboard cutout character in the comics so to have this kind of like emotional depth to him automatically makes him much more of an interesting character he was already a much more interesting character when all he said was get out of my office every single week but now we have much more depth to him we have much more like idea of what kind of person he is and I think the conversation between him and Clark really solidified that and they worked hand in hand with the flashbacks because yes he is doing horrible things but that played perfectly into Clark's uh, storyline with the boys how far would you be willing to go to save the person that you love and that automatically makes him much more interesting to me than a crime boss or anything like that and that scene between him and Clark was probably one of the best scenes of the season because first of all again how great is Clark as a reporter when Bruno was like, we're talking about your wife here. And Clark was like, I'm not sure we are because Clark knew he was talking about someone he loved. And I think the flashbacks worked hand in hand with that because you really got to see how much they do care about each other. Yeah, it came out of nowhere almost for me. I didn't expect a Bruno flashback episode, but I think it was very successful in what it set out to do. What was the scream thing she had going on? So 
it's basically uh, she looks like she has the same powers as the Black Canary and that she has just the sonic scream that she can kill people oh, with. Oh, that's where I've seen that before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so um, if you've watched Arrow, if you've watched The Flash, if you've watched Legends of Tomorrow, you've probably seen one of the Black Canary characters unleash a sonic scream like that. Was it in the um, episode that we watched, the, the backdoor pilot? Yes, both okay. of them both of them did at Laurel and Dinah, yep. Uh, so yes, I did. That's not, I don't believe that's onomatopoeia's powers in the comics. So interesting enough, the mask obviously works with whatever kind of scream she's got to heighten it and make them see other things. Because when she didn't have the mask, all she had was a sonic scream. Now she can make people hear things. She can make people die with bullet holes without ever them actually having bullet holes in them. So she's obviously a lot more powerful than we thought, but it hasn't really went into whether she's just a person with superpowers, whether she's an alien, where do these powers come from? Maybe that's not the story it wants to tell, but I feel like we do know a lot more about Pia now. And I did think it was kind of funny that she was getting high and mighty over Lois. How dare you accuse me of this when Lois was 100% right? It's like, I that was a little bit that up. Did yeah. Lois go too far? I feel like I was with her. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. She I, made I, the whole point of being like, I'm going over there, don't follow me. And that other lady was like, what's the tea? <laughs> <laughs> I thought she was going to like know something. I was like, what do you know, girl? Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Because she did have an interesting look on her face. Um, I think, I don't think Lois went too far, but I thought Lois's pol- apology was interesting because she said that they're supposed to be, she's trying to develop a friendship and you don't interrogate your friends. So at that point, I was like, okay, I could see why Pia would be upset. Like, we're here getting chemo together. I've opened up to you. You've opened up to me. And now you want to question me. But at the same time, as a viewer, I'm like, but Pia, we know you were doing shady things when you're not getting chemo at the hospital. And we know that Bruno is up to no good in an effort to save you from dying. Lois got too close. Mm -hmm. She did. And Pia reacted (laughs) immediately. And that's what's interesting because Lois was 100% right. But even when she tried to apologize, Pia wouldn't let it go. She kept saying, oh, so it's your dad's fault. And I was like, come on now, this woman's trying to apologize. And you know she's right. It's not your, it's not her fault she got too close. And th- but then I think the facade fell away and Pia did acknowledge it by saying, this wasn't supposed to happen. I did, I really appreciated the fact this show was used to subverting her expectations and it did it again. Did not expect the Bruno Mannheim reveal and the Pia to open up about who her husband was that quickly. Uh, we just found out last week. Did not expect Clark and Lois to find it out. But then it it really, it set up a lovely like emotional kind of ending because Clark, Clark and Lois didn't push back against that. They were didn't like, how dare you lie to me or anything. Bruno Mannheim is not to be taken lightly, but I think this was done so that they maybe can like ease their suspicions for a little bit. And then probably in about four or five episodes time, they'd be like, hold on a minute. We were right. But I, th- I just thought it was very effective in what it was doing. The story, the show prioritized the emotional story over the super story. And I like it when it does that the best because it was very effective. It's like two sides of the same coin, especially mm-hmm. when um, at the bell ringing, uh, mm-hmm. when for a moment, I'm like, I know Pia and Bruno are bad news, but I'm really enjoying the emotional weight of Lois watching her friend ring the bell and this lovely speech and Bruno finally getting to stand by his wife, who, uh, since they've both been hiding their marriage so that she is not dragged down into the mud, even um, publicly, because she is already there. They don't know that. But like, it is just, I was like, I love it. Like, I'm not. I might end up getting attached to them as we move further into the season, but I just really love that Superman and Lois 
has showed so many different types of relationships and romantic bonds. Um, and this one is like, yes, they're evil, they're villains, um, but they have so much heart. <laughs> they're like truly villains with, I guess not gold hearts, but big hearts, big hearts for each other and their community. And um, they really do protect their own. Mm-hmm. I always go back to that line from the Vampire Diaries. Um, someone said that anyone capable of love is capable of being saved. I don't know whether Bruno Mannheim will be saved by the end of the season, but I, I feel like they've done a very good job in making us want him to be saved, want his wife to be saved, want the storyline to have a happy ending for them. We know it can't because he's done horrible things, but like that's how you know you've done a villain very, very well. And they've only done this in a very short amount of time. But we don't just know that they're husband and wife. We also know that they're parents because that was quite the reveal in the end with... um. Bruno Jr., let's call him. Uh, <laughs> but did we see the Matteo twist coming? No, not you until did. he walked yes. into the room. <laughs> really? <laughs> I, I did. I, yeah, I know the fans were talking about. That. I don't think I would have caught on had the fan had I not seen chatter about it online. Again, very effective. But when he brought up his mom to John Henry, I was like, "Ooh, this is a very Pia heavy episode, and we're talking about your mom." I feel like I know where this is going and in the end it did. And again, they look like great parents. So, I mean, like they've done a good job of making us champion that little dynamic. He's so respectful. And, yes. again, and he has the honorifics going too. I'm like, it's going to work out for you. Not really, but I'm rooting for you and Natalie. <laughs> uh, I think, so to go to the human side of things, it has nothing to do with um, Lois's cancer storyline or the big storyline of the season. I thought the handling of the teens this episode in terms of like Sarah and Natalie and Mateo was better than it's been lately. I mean, Sarah had her moment, but um, I don't know. I really felt her, you know, struggle with not caring for Chrissy, but also really not caring for Chrissy because she's living with her dad now. She's not trying to see him with another woman just so soon after her parents' divorce. Um, But then after Chrissy told her about herself, um, not spending the rest of the episode being awful until the last five minutes. We actually, like, she corrected her behavior and they went ahead to the movie. I thought that was nice. Okay, here's where I'm going to say something potentially controversial. Can't wait. <laughs> surprising. I was on Sarah's side. Oh. I was like, yeah, you don't have to accept Chrissy. Like, what I like, I, I related to her because I've been in that situation and I'm like, yeah, you shouldn't be forced to do whatever, what, you shouldn't be forced to do anything to welcome anybody go at your own pace and i was kind of disappointed when she decided when she felt guilty and went to the movies with chrissy i was like just i the only time i'm ever on sarah's side i'm like yeah stand your ground like don't i don't know i was just on i was on her side i i I just want to say something there because i completely understand where you're coming from and i think that's uh, this is a more nuanced conversation about sarah than we've had recently and i think that's important to acknowledge i think the fault of this episode lies in the fact that it's come off the back of three or four sarah acting moody episodes so this just looks like the latest in a long line of it um i did make the joke to sabrina that she's going to have an issue with superman by the end of the season because she's coming (laughs) for the whole cast at this point but um Taking the episode as an isolated incident, I'm totally with you, Reed. I do agree. I There's nothing, there's ver- a lot wrong with the way she acted. There's nothing wrong with the way she's feeling, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. There is absolutely, totally natural to feel the way she did. But like we said a few weeks ago, Sarah always goes to the extreme. She literally just ignored Lana and like just started on Chrissy across the bar not very necessary since it was the first time the two of them have interacted. Maybe we should have seen Sarah learn about it in the first place. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was out of pocket, though, when she's just, like, coloring with her sister, and she, like, turns around to make a Snyder mark and then goes back to coloring. And I'm like, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> it oh, was on brand, though. I, um, <laughs> it was such an interesting contrast, though, because Lana, who had, in the previous episode, she wasn't having it, but then had taken a step back and was trying to be mature about the situation so for her to like for lana to be like i'm gonna take it in stride i don't care for this especially because i think chrissy ordered what um kyle orders at the diner which is why lana and sarah were looking like okay so we're picking up food for kyle sure um but i do think i think let's go into the theaters probably too strong of uh, a counter for sarah i think yeah but i do I guess we could go back and let her sit more in it. Like she doesn't have to automatically be welcoming to Chrissy. I just didn't want her to be rude to, to Chrissy um, in the way that she was. I mean, like she doesn't really have to talk to her. Like just keep it cordial. Hi, bye. Um, and that was not what she was giving. She was very much giving, you can leave um, at any point and it'll be just fine. I really wish, I wonder if they cut a scene because I didn't realize that um, until she was talking to Chrissy at the apartment that she'd seen Chrissy and her dad that morning. And which I think gives weight to why she made such a snide comment. I was like, girl, mm-hmm. what'd you walk in on this morning that you weren't prepared for? <laughs> <laughs> which is why she got that comment. Yeah, I know Kyle wasn't in this episode at all. And I feel like maybe this was not the episode to do that with. We could have had him off working on a different week. I just feel like we could have met we needed a little bit more from Sarah finding out the show doesn't do the whole typical CW off-screen conversations. So it kind of bothered me that we did that with Sarah and Sophie. Well, Sophie's off screen all the time. That's not important. But you know what I mean? Um, I just feel like we maybe needed a little bit more because with Sarah, it always goes from zero to 100 very, very, very quickly. And this was just another example from that. But none of what she was feeling was wrong. I just feel like because they had her go so extreme, it was then on her to make amends when if she just sat with her feelings felt the way she was and maybe didn't act out so extreme in the way that Sarah does she wouldn't have felt the need to make amends so quickly if you know what I mean the episode wrapped it up very quickly yeah like she should like she's a kid she should be allowed to feel how she's feeling and I I don't know not that Chrissy laid it on thick but it was kind of like girl you know what you're doing like Sarah's trying to set a boundary and you're just kind of like well I guess you can go to the movies whatever I'll leave and I was like, Sarah, no, <laughs> <laughs> don't fall far. But I loved, I loved the, um, not to plow forward, but I loved this, the stuff between uh, Sarah and Lana at the end at of the episode. End. Yeah. 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 But I was like, how does Kyle have like the Disney fireworks display just <laughs> hanging around? <laughs> I love that. I feel like we don't get enough of this type of Sarah and Lana dynamic. Lana has spent this whole season reacting to somebody else, everything that happens in her life. And I kind of want it more for her considering she's the mayor of the town now. I thought, and I do think with whatever onomatopoeia and Bruno's plans are, we might see her get come into play later in the season, but there's been a lot of family stuff and she's been reacting to all of that. And just to get to see her spend a moment with Sarah this season, this time, this episode, and the fact that Sarah wasn't reacting to anyone, because I know they've had a bit of a troubled relationship as well so far. So just getting to see the two of them spend some time together and just, they're both struggling with everything that's happening. Lana, it turns out Lana is more so than Sarah. So just to see them be there for each other and just have that 
beautiful moment of just serenity between the two of them while they were all also acting out and potentially breaking the law because they needed to get away from there as quick as possible it was lovely and I also love the fact that Clark was like no that's Lana when Jonathan asked who's the fireworks uh, who's responsible for it because I don't think he was super listening at first it gave the sense that he was like that's my old friend yeah. okay I thought so too because I loved it like any yeah. Connor stuff I'm like yes talk about their best friendship I um what I loved about Sarah and Lana at the end, though, was I think maybe, fingers crossed, we're getting to the point of teenagehood where Sarah is beginning to understand that her mom has layers. Mm-hmm. Um, that is like, that's, God, it's such a terrible, like, it's a hard part of growing up, but it's such a great part of growing up. And I think being able to set fireworks off with her mom um, just really opened the door for Sarah to see, like, your mom has different like she has multitudes inside of her like I think Lana probably loves setting off fireworks when she knows she's not supposed to it's probably a thing that she did when she was younger and hasn't done in a long time there was just such youthful like excitement and exuberance around it um and it was a beautiful shot too Mm -hmm. um of them watching the the song Mm. I don't know what it was I forgot to shazam it but it was I loved it the whole moment (laughs) yeah it was very very family drama and that's what the show is I, you, you like we were, would have seen scenes like that in friday night nights or something and every so often you need shows like that or you need moments like that and shows like this when it can quit quite heavy and i just thought that was a perfect culmination is the wrong word because we're not finished with the season yet no doubt the two of them will have their ways to go in their own story but i just thought that was such a moment of release for them and it just it, it that came across so well and, and the scene was only what 30 seconds but it came across so well and i think the two of them really needed that and clark and his wine that he can't feel yeah <laughs> <laughs> but he drank it for for lois oh that was such a cute little moment uh before we move to john henry and natalie um i do want to say to circle back to chrissy real quick i am struggling with her but i think it's because they're not leaning into the shame that she's carrying not just like as an adult who, who doesn't seem to have a life outside of her her newspaper <laughs> and what um and her relationship with Lois, but also in her relationship with Kyle. Like it's supposed to be a happy thing, but she's only happy when she's in the bubble of them. Outside of that, she is carrying a lot of guilt for getting into a relationship with a man who just recently got divorced. Uh, and that was like clear throughout this whole episode. And then she's such a mess that she forgot that she had her her gummies in the purse and then they, there Sarah was to go she's like ooh and then she's explaining herself to Sarah about Coachella and I was like I we need to just stop talking let's just get the ticket <laughs> and watch the movie I would like to see Chrissy have more scenes with Lois this season because she's kind of been boxed off into the Cushing things into the Cushing storylines and no one's getting the chance to react to either the fact she's not getting the chance to react to the fact that Lois is still battling his illness and Lois isn't getting the chance to react to hold on a minute you're with Kyle now I just feel like a lot is being said off screen and I know I know I know that the Kents and the Lens have their own thing going on now understandably so that's getting primary focus but I still feel like Chrissy would visit or Lois would insist on going into work I just miss that dynamic and I just think now that Chrissy's gotten swallowed up by the Cushing end of the stories she's not interacting with anyone else and I miss her relationship with Lois I feel like that could the stories you were talking about there Sabrina they could be excavated through more conversations with Lois. Mm -hmm. How do we feel about John Henry and his reaction to Natalie dating? I don't know. I thought it was predictable. 
but adorable. I also, why don't we not? Everyone just needs to listen to Lana. She speaks the truth. Um, and he just, he listened to her and then completely did the wrong thing. I was like, what? Come on now. And then he needed her help to sort the situation. Lana is just MVP of the episode, sorting everything out, talking everybody onto the straight and narrow. Um, but it, it was, it, it, we, he's so protective of Natalie and we get to see that in a lot of storylines. So it, even though you were like, what are you doing? It made total sense that you couldn't really fault him for the way he felt, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I liked to. I thought like it was not a natural reaction for him. Because he was like, oh, yeah, I'm totally fine with her like going on a date with this young man. He seems like he's okay. And the minute that young man appreciated her romantically, dad was like, wait a second. Well, yes, she's beautiful. But we none of that. No puppy love. No nothing. Um, their little um, lunch at the island, all crowded and, and like claustrophobic, <laughs> was really nice, too. Now, um, Natalie popped off in a way that I had not seen in a while. And we just went to the theaters. I said, I feel like in other households, you would not be getting out that door after saying what you did. But you know what? We're just going <laughs> to let it rock. Y'all enjoy. What was it? Dumb um, Frankenstein? Maybe. I think so. Um, and I agree with you totally. I feel like Natalie always, dri- she has no problem holding back when her dad steps out of line. She's done it in front of Jonathan and Jordan as well, quite a few times. So it's nice to say that she's, I mean, you have to respect your parents, of course, that maybe that conversation didn't need to be had publicly, but she needed to get Mateo out of there before something blew up. So, I mean, like it paid <laughs> off in the end. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I do think the teens were better this this season. And it was nice actually to see Natalie react um, to her own life and take control of her own life because uh, things tend to just be happening to her. Um, she's trying to carve out her space and she's doing that regardless mm-hmm. of how John feels about it. John's getting on board though, which is mm-hmm. a good thing. Uh, but to move to The Flash, um, it was an interesting episode. You could say that. I feel like this is going to be the episode that divides the spiral. <laughs> um, I have to ask. No, actually, no, I'll give a brief bit of background first. So uh, this is the start of the final um, interlude. Or no, the interlude's over. This is the start of the final chapter. Um, so we're doing four par- a four-parter, a, a new world, part one, two, three, and four. This was obviously part one. Um, and Reed, how familiar are you with The Flash? You, you, just, you, sit, you did see some of the first season, did, didn't you? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I watched like maybe eight episodes, but that was almost 10 years ago. I don't remember a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Long story short, obviously the the Barry becomes the Flash because the reverse Flash killed his mom back in the year 2000. um, And he tried to kill baby Barry, but um, adult Flash swooped him out of there in time um, because time travel, folks, that's how time travel works. Um, But somehow... In this episode, Barry Allen ended up back in the year 2000 and he got to spend a day with his mom and dad. Um, he also crossed paths with the reverse Flash, played by Matt Lester, not the Tom Cavanagh version, um, uh, because the reverse Flash was on his way to kill young Barry because it was March 18th, 2000. This was the, this was the day his parents died. Um, and something's wrong with Barry that he can't get out. He tried to travel through time, but his connection to the Speed Force is gone. He can still swoop around the city but he can't travel through time anymore um and yeah there's a lot of emotional movement very little costumes in this episode which is why i liked it it was also very nostalgic and it was felt like a season one episode maybe not as tight as a season one episode but it felt 
like a season one episode there was so much nostalgia and i know sabrina is nodding at me so i want to see why um go on pop off (laughs) i um okay it was nostalgic that's not like the part that bothered me um i think it is the writing around it i uh it's not as tight as a season one episode i think it had does everyone expect for us to go back to the night the the night nora died in the final season of the flash yes it's actually something i think everyone in the fandom was waiting for uh because you have to do it one last time and this was the one last time i just the beginning part to how we get there didn't really gel with me uh, I think it is because we are acting in a capacity that like a doctor wouldn't do. Like, so, I mean, as comedic as the show can be, the fact that like Barry's mom is popping in on him after he got like hit by the car and his dad's allowing her to weigh in on um like what's best medically for him. And she's like, what he needs is food. I was like, could we have, can, can they have just been like a family on the street and not taken him to the hospital? It made more sense if they were going to do that for it to be in the house. Um but I get it. It's an opportunity for Barry to be with his parents one last time, even though we did this at Flashpoint and Flashpoint did it better. Uh, I think I wouldn't have been bothered so much if he didn't have a line about how he'd always imagined what it would be like. And I was like, well, we didn't always imagine what it would be like because you decided at the end of season two that you were going to give up the life that you had and run back to the past and save your mom. That's how you found out it was a fixed point in time because you created Flashpoint. And then you had to give, you had to sacrifice the joy that you'd found in order to bring everything back. So that speech, as lovely as it was acted, as great to me as it was to have him there Mm -hmm. with his parents, I was like, but I, I, can we have done it in a way that didn't completely, to me, forget about the whole thing he went through in season three? Mm Hmm. Yeah, I understand. And I feel like this is also an issue with how the Flash has played out over the years. We knew they were going to go back to that night at the end of the show. So why did we feel the need to go back to that night so many times in the middle of the show as well? Maybe that's the issue. And obviously, I agree. Some of the middle episodes did it better. But it doesn't change the fact that um, I definitely got goosebumps when the whole reverse Flash thing happened at the end of the episode. I was like, oh, it's happening we're finally going back here and i've not felt like that about a flash episode in about three or four years so that was definitely a bonus um the nostalgia i think was my favorite part of it because for the first time oliver aside for the first time this felt like the final season of the flash and we should not be doing this in the final four episodes in the first 15 minutes alone we got eddie thon back we got henry and nora allen back we got uh, matt lester's reverse flashback we got the voice of victor garber back as professor stein there was so much nostalgia in those first 15 minutes we were in the year 2000 we saw people with walkmans like we did they did in the year 2000 there was so much throwback and there was old flash music as well which the show has not done in years this to me felt like where the flash's final season should have started and that's not good for with only four episodes to go but the first five minutes of the episode when we were still in the present and apparently there's been a time jump because iris is now heavily pregnant and uh chester chester and allegra (laughs) are um why Michael does just ev- looked so exasperated. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> Why does everything with Chester and Allegra have to be so 
bad. They were in the episode for one scene. And so Chester's trying to make Allegra a suit because uh, she's worried about her identity being revealed because she, she is super powerful. She's like Captain Marvel, but the show has not dealt with that. And she gets stuck with these stupid corny storylines. But So he decided to make her a costume that was basically a big Undertaker-like trench coat, but with rainbows on it and um, uh, goggles that also shined. And she thought it was horrible because uh, she didn't want to draw this much attention to herself. And also, every superhero suit is like leather or shiny. Why does she wear in a dry, dry coat when literally her fires are ultraviolet and could probably set it on fire? Don't know <laughs> what the logic is here. Um, she hid at the outfit and agreed. So did I. It was horrible. Um, but <laughs> Chester's supposed to be a genius. Why would he have done this? Apparently he spent weeks working on it and Allegra headed it and he was so upset that Allegra headed it, but it was okay because they love each other and they were going to go back and help her take the coat off, if you know what that means. And I was like, okay, <gasps> get them off yeah. screen. Um, <laughs> get them off screen. Um, <laughs> and that was the only time we seen them in the episode. So that was fun. Glad glad that was that. Cecile and Joe, uh, Cecile's out in the country meeting Joe on the weekends. Did so Joe was like back. That, that did not look like country house. Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, but like, so we got a, we, we got some movement. Also, Keon's powers. She is like, yes, Scarlet Witch. My only issue is we spent like 10 episodes of her like, let's go meditate. And then used the time jump to have her become this super power yeah <laughs> super power thing and she's writing letters to caitlin and frost even though the two of them are dead and uh she now she wants to write the person she really wants to speak to is children so i'm like wait did, is keon actually in love with children now i don't know where we're going with this also children is a series regular this season and they wrote that man out twice so why was he a series <laughs> regular <laughs> there's only 13 episodes people um but yeah i had to get my little current flash rant in before we talk about the actual beauty of the real episode so um yeah what did you think of the opening intro uh, sabrina they could have kept it on the cutting room floor like it just it didn't it, it adds nothing it felt like one of those things where you know if this had been the actual start of the season that's what you would have done we would have had um five minutes of catching up with everybody and that's essentially what they did but we didn't need to do that because we are in the last four episodes of the season so we don't need to catch up in that way i thought it was um i wish jesse l martin had actually been able to be in the barry's birthday episode because it made more it was better use of his time i would think for him to be in that episode than for him to be making breakfast was he making breakfast in the kitchen um and cecile trying to get cecile to stay instead of um going to the city for the weekend or something i lost track of their conversation because i was (laughs) like i don't know i don't know what this adds um, and we have a whole new set that we're probably not going to see again. <laughs> so that was that was throwing me. Um, but all of this is to say that, like, really, it was uh, just to let us know it's been nine months. And Iris is about to. Um, she's, I guess, days, maybe a week or so away from giving birth. I don't really know what she was. Oh, he was Barry's baby proofing the house with dampeners, which was interesting because considering what Nora was upset about, um, well, the first Nora was upset about, I was like, well, can we linger in this conversation a little bit? I mean, it makes sense. You know, if she gets powers when she's a toddler, she they are going to have to be, they're going to need to dampen her so she's not toddling and then zooming right into a wall and hurting herself. Um, but I was like, oh, the dampener conversation is fun. Let's stay here. And then he disappeared. <laughs> I, was, I was like, well, the, the real plot is starting. Um, I thought we were going to come between where he was and the present. And that's not what happened, which I think was fine, actually. Which, by the way, Michael, I don't think we're as divided as you might think. I have qualms 
but it's an okay episode. I just have major qualms with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, where was it going to go with this? To go back into the meat of the story in the 2000s and to jump towards the end, my favorite part is actually the zoom through the house and back out into the street. Um, I was I was trying to figure out why Barry was apologizing to Thawne. Uh, Reed, I don't know if you remember from, you know, when you did watch the show, <laughs> but Thawne's angry that when he developed his powers, um, when he finally was able to use them, he was going to save a crowd and then Barry saved them instead. And that is his villain origin story. Such a narcissistic villain origin story. Um, but it's the reason for why he wants to kill uh, little Barry. But I actually thought, like, we finally got a stronger reason for why Thawne should want to kill Barry uh, towards the end of the episode. When Barry apologizes, let him, lets him go through the whole scenario that he knows is a fixed point so that he can land in the part where he can't get back to his own time. And Barry did that knowingly. And I was like, yes, Will and Barry. Because <laughs> that, is, that is the best origin for why Thawne is the way he is. You let me do this thing. You even let me kill your mom, which, wow, dark. Um, so that I can't go back in time mm-hmm. to my time. Um, and because that's the way it's supposed to be. It was a very dark moment that they just let Barry have. And then he went on. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, bye, peace. Um, mm-hmm. uh, one thing I have to say that really gave me goosebumps and it really made me feel like a full circle moment. And so, yes, read uh, the, the p- pilot of The Flash. Obviously, the reason The Flash is born is because Thon went back in time and killed Barry's mom. Um but while he did that, a future version of Barry tried to stop Thawne. So baby Barry was standing there in a room watching these two speedsters go around in circles. Um, and then adult Barry swooped baby Barry out of the room. Um, in the season one finale, because Barry was young, he thought he could change the timeline. So he went back to save his mom. And as he went in as the Flash to try to save his mom, the adult Flash that was there turned around and went, as in, you can't do that. And then that's when Barry realized he could never save his mom. Flash forward nine years later, the adult Barry that turns around to uh, time traveling Barry, like, is the current Barry. So th- we've reached that point in the story where it started as Barry was trying to save his mom. At nine seasons later, he's finally become the one that went back in time to be like, you can't do this. It has to stay as it was. What a moment of growth for Barry. And you finally, you always thought, how could Barry Allen, who loves his parents so much, be like, no, you have to let her die. And we after 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 that day he lived in 2000, we finally seen that. It was such a full circle moment. I knew we were going to see the fight between Thawne and Fla- Bar- the Flash again, but I didn't expect to see that Barry became the future Flash in that scene, in that moment. That was an incredible moment. And I feel like we had to deal with that before the end of the season. So it just, it was... The episode had its flaws, but I feel like we finally reached flash level storytelling again and it's been a very long time since we've been there. I think, um, okay, I need your help with the, I guess that's Cobalt Blue. I don't know. Um, but the whole blue-eyed thing, the the voice um, over there we're doing was actually quite heavy. So at points I couldn't understand what he was trying to say to Barry. Why is he here? We don't know yet. But um, uh, the thing is, we all watched the season eight finale. Um, uh, so Barry, the present version of the reverse flash that was played by Tom Kavanaugh was wiped out of existence, which means that the negative speed force needs an avatar. 
And uh, Barry is obviously the avatar for the positive speed force. The negative speed force cannot exist within an avatar. Thon was its avatar, and Thon was finally forever wiped from existence whenever he went up into the sky in the black suit and evaporated in the storm or whatever the hell that was. Um, but um, <laughs> it was a bad finale. Um, but uh, so I don't know what Cobalt Blue has got to do with the negative speed force because we're really going around in circles here. But the episode opened with. Um, Eddie Thawne, you remember Eddie uh, Reed? Um, he was Iris's uh, love interest in the first season, and then he died. Yeah, the, the blonde cop. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. He's so uh, obviously given the surname. He's a far out ancestor of the Reverse Flash because his name's Thawne. Um, but he was supposed to amount to nothing. But anyway, Eddie was a cop. But when we were introduced to this version of Eddie at the start of this episode, and that he's a doctor, and then we don't see him again for the rest of the episode. But at the end of the episode. There's a after Barry deals with whatever it is holding that blue diamond, obviously. So the blue diamond infected Joe West, the Joe West in the 2000s, not the current one, um, because Barry was trapped there and uh, said that the negative speed force needs a new avatar. You stole the avatar of our, 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 our negative speed force. So as a result, we're going to wipe out you because you're the avatar of the positive speed force. But it didn't work. Barry managed to save 2000s Joe and uh, the blue whatever it is medallion diamond whatever fell out of joe it was no longer possessing him and when barry went to grab it it disappeared however then we cut to the end of the episode and we're back at this alternate version of eddie thawne working in his lab and just like what happened to barry in the very first episode of the flash lightning struck all the like uh, concoctions in the lab rose for a moment time stood still and red lightning struck eddie and then he woke up and he was fine and uh, he saw a newspaper that said, um, was it Detective Eddie Thorne died? And he looks and was like, who's Detective Eddie Thorne? So his name's not Eddie Thorne. And he was struck by what we think is the negative speed force. So for the longest time, everyone was hoping that uh, Eddie Thorne would actually have been the comic book character, Malcolm Thorne, who apparently was Barry Allen's twin brother, who was... <laughs> something happened a doctor stole him at birth and he never grew up with uh he never grew up with his own parents and so he was always jealous that barry stole his life even though he was his twin brother like how does your twin steal your life the two of you should have been living that life together but anyway he becomes the villain known as cobalt blue and he's um controlled by a blue medallion that lets him harness the power of the speed force or something like that i don't know um but uh and he becomes one of the flash's arch rivals nine seasons eddie thon died in season one that never happened now it looks like whatever this the fact that this blue diamond needs an, ag- an avatar for the negative speed force and an eddie thon from what appears to be an alternate timeline on an alternate earth was struck by the negative speed force that that is controlled by a blue diamond makes us very much think that uh, finally after nine seasons eddie is going to become malcolm thon aka cobalt blue i wish they had more than four episodes to deal with this but it's very exciting that i think that was the only storyline in the whole of the flash's nine season run that never checked that box of ones that fans wanted to say so the fact we're going to get to see it's quite exciting no idea what it means i probably just said a lot of mumbo jumbo that didn't make sense but i mean it, it was a lot of information it sounded like it made sense <laughs> it sounded like it made sense yeah very exciting nonetheless but um before we move on my one concern about next week's episode is sabrina said that this episode did not stay in the present which means no more iris no more chester and allegra no more cecile no more current joe as soon as we moved to the 2000s we didn't see any of them again the promo for next week looks like it's only 
set in the present, which means we're going to have modern day Flash again and Chester and Allegra running around thinking, how do we find Barry? And no doubt Cecile trying to get vibes as to how to find Barry. And I'm like, after such a high standard nostalgic episode, I'm not sure we need an episode set totally in the present without Barry Allen. I hope the promo was misleading, we'll say. But f- as far as the, sh- the Flash's final storyline goes, it's off to mm-hmm. a strong start for me. Mm-hmm. I want Iris to be the lead of the next episode, though. I would like that. I don't care if they need a proper feed up and hand her uh, her drink. Uh, she delegates, <laughs> but she needs, she needs to be the lead of that episode to really bring it home. I just feel like the OCs, OCs should not be in charge. Um, so fingers crossed that that is not going to be the case mm-hmm. but moving to horseshoe bay to have our final nancy drew reaction um to season three before we're like we're here y'all we caught up I, the journey is basically done in the sense of us kind of trying to <laughs> to catch up with you guys and it was it's interesting these last two episodes are um are quite something for for a lot of reasons Yes. A lot, a lot went down. Mm-hmm. I'm still trying to like figure out what I think about it. Oh. Okay. Well let's let's start in um episode twelve with the trying to track down love. How did we feel about that plot or were the other things plotting more? Mm. They were unsuccessful in trying to track down love. I'll say that <laughs> that much as <laughs> Oh, poor love. Um Anyway, I thought that we they put together the different groupings rather well, um, mm-hmm. and then bringing the storyline back together. This idea that you know we have to track down love in order to stop temperance, but at the same time, the babies at the youth center are truly, truly going through it with this hex, while also balancing the fact that Nancy has to negotiate her feelings for two of her men as she works for things. I have a question: Why were the kids at the center so late? Uh, what did Nick say? Nick said that they were doing a game night. So, um, presumably they had the kids text their parents to be like, we're going to have a late night game night at the youth center. Be back later. It was like midnight though. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was? <laughs> oh, that I don't, I guess these parents just. Yeah. <laughs> Cause at one point when they were doing the, the ritual, didn't Beth say it needs to be midnight or something? Mm-hmm, that's right. I think so. Oh, I'm like, did they have a sleepover? I don't know. I was confused. I was like, are their parents aren't like, can you release the babies? <laughs> <laughs> they just like all had blankets and bleeding noses on the sofa. And I was like, try not to poke holes in it because like, this is a supernatural show and like, it doesn't need to make a ton of sense. But I was like, why are they there? <laughs> you know, I guess we should have already had it be an overnight thing where they mm-hmm. were all there with their jammies and their, and, um, their I guess sleeping bags to have a youth center jamboree type style like movie night or something and it just went downhill real fast yeah like a lock-in like a lock-in mm. that you would do as a kid in elementary school or yeah. grade school I don't know what you guys call it in the UK Michael I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> neither do I it'll come to my primary school <laughs> yeah there we go yeah there it is um I have a gripe with Bass about the storyline and i mean by the end we were all like yes queen bass save the day icon but the reason the whole thing happened in the first place is because bass wouldn't leave well enough alone um uh, i knew the minute i had a feeling the minute that that she spoke the curse into existence that it would come that it would 
be bro- spoken into existence mm-hmm. and that's exactly what happened nick was like no best don't and she was like zooming in to find things out and i feel like we do this with best too much and that she reacts first and then asks questions later and i know she needed answers and that nick was keeping secrets from them but i feel like there was a conversation there that would have had some middle ground it was like i know something's happening but i can't tell you because it will have dire consequences literally that's exactly what temperance told me word for word and i feel like best would have backed off a little bit and maybe trying to find out a little bit slower i get we had to force the scenario but i feel like too often does best rush in and then has to be the one to make up for it and she did make up for it in the end congratulations but we're at the end of a season where Bess is supposed to have underwent a lot of growth. And I remember the three of us did not like the storyline she was involved in in the first episode. And she's still exhibiting some of those characteristics by the end of it. She did grow in the end. She did save the day in the end. But I just feel like we didn't need to be that extreme to get there, if you know what I mean. That's a pile on Bess. But I feel like her character has been the most changed over the seasons. And some of it's good. I really like to see her be confident and step into her own. But there's a humor that's been missing from Bess mm-hmm. this season like I don't know season three Bess and I didn't always get along and that's okay yeah I um I think we'd lost she had been so strongly involved in like fa- family wanting family for like two seasons and we kind of did that in season three I think that was supposed to be the reason why she was so enamored with the women in white but then that fell away and so did anything about most things about like romance. So then you're left with just witchy Bess, which is like a whole new thing for this season. I feel like maybe the other characters' arcs made a bit more sense for their journey. That we land um, with her, with Bess being the more knowledgeable one about supernatural things, which is not something that I think anyone would have expected having watched the first two mm-hmm. seasons. Um, I too struggle with her. For season three um and in this episode not again not the magic stuff that was all great it, it was the rushing in um and the couldn't we have just written it down on a pad then been like waving it around at him <laughs> so, <laughs> so that we could discuss i mean she is the type of person who would speed through but in certain mm-hmm. it feels like she should have learned that she should not do that by now because of all the things she sped through in season three that did not turn out in her favor Mm-hmm. And again, not to go back to the whole two weeks thing, but I feel like this is an issue with this season coming across only over two week period because it does kind of feel a little bit rushed. So you're telling me the two weeks ago, Bess had absolutely no magic experience whatsoever. And she's performed like what, 16 rituals in between. There's not enough days in the week for that pet. But also on top of that, we have... She's grown so much, but also reverted so much. And I mean, like that's far too much character development for 14 days, considering we didn't really land on which version of best we wanted to be by the end of the season. Also, she's been in charge of the historical society now, and I know we'll get to that. Her relationship with Addie has been on and off. I just feel like this season needed more episodes. And, and this is not the only story that that, that, that that's, uh, can be said about, but I just feel like the season needed more episodes to kind of give the characters the authentic growth they kind of need at. And that still came across in the final two episodes for me. Mm-hmm. I think with um, just to move into the whole Nancy Park and um, Ace thing, I thought, what did I think about how they handled it this this episode? I still feel a lot of fire from Nancy and Park for us to like end the episode with her choosing Ace, which is completely fine. But I was like. 
definitely need more episodes because I don't know why we are on fire over here. But then also being like, well, he talked to me and I kind of want to figure out what this is, is over here. And so I'm, I think we're great as friends. Um, and I'm telling you this while we're trying to save children's lives. That's, we don't really have other time to do it. So here it is. Um, and poor Ace was like a puppy the entire time just waiting to hear, like, can we talk about it? Can we say something? And yeah. I did like that Perk was clocking it, though, because Perk was like, give it like a, oh, I forget what his line was. But it, um, they're in Icarus Hall and he's talking to her and he's, you realize partway through his sentence that he's talking about her familiarity with Ace and he's trying to tell her, you know, it's familiar and that's comfortable, but you should try like open your eyes to new arenas, that arena being me. Let's focus on <laughs> our, like our romance that is sparking right now. And she was kind of into it. And then Ace interrupted them. And then she was confused again. Um, but I'm glad we got an answer to what she was going to. Well, we knew this was coming, but that she chose Ace in this episode. But didn't she like break things off with Park before she even talked to Ace in that mm -hmm. scene where they're like taping the ground and everything? And yeah. Yeah. No follow-up question. <laughs> <laughs> I I do want to say, you said that there's still so much fire between Park and Nancy, and I agree with that in general, but I feel like these episodes dialed it back a lot so that it would make her ultimate choice all that easier, and I hate when drama shows do that mm -hmm. because I'm like, the reason you were supposed to be struggling between two worlds was because both of them were presenting solid cases for you, and I don't feel like the Park-Nancy dynamic was presenting any kind of case in that episode because the writers did not want it to if that makes sense. You know what I mean? I feel like the previous, even the previous episode, the chemistry between them two was on fire. Maybe they're trying to go for the whole that Nancy kind of got that out of her system. I don't know. But I just feel like I'm sad. Ness, 100%. I am Ness, 100%. But I feel like I'm sad this happened in this season because I feel like Nancy and Park had more room to grow before it ultimately didn't work. And I just feel like, again, could have done with more episodes. That's the difficult thing, though, because I feel like each relationship Nancy's had, I've liked them all. I've enjoyed mm -hmm. watching them all, even if, like, we know Nace is the the, the finish line. Um, and just, like, it just feels like Park got cut short, that story, a little bit. And then and all of a sudden, it's just like we're taking a step forward, three steps back with Ace. It's like every conversation they have, it's like kind of we're slightly getting what we want and we're moving away from that that happened a lot in these two episodes it has stressed mm. me out <laughs> it's one of the reasons why um i was not feeling the nice progression in this let's just move into episode 13 in um in these last two episodes and i think it's because you know we set the case for them moving forward in episode 12 we're excited about it we get to episode 13 and not only do we move backward, but its main progression happens in a dream and then is completely erased and they're separated by um, a curse. And it's it's my least, I hate that when it's not built well. Um, to me, it's not earned. I felt like we, we needed more episodes for that. Not only for like the curse to, to have weight to me, um, but also for the choice Nancy ultimately makes at um, initially. Like, so just to give the opening for the um, episode, 
we're of course temperance was like five steps ahead even though i'm not sure why they thought they were even close to um her chessboard um and we get to the when the hole is opened and nancy's got her um hatchet raised and she's gonna like kill her and then you get this dream sequence with um nancy where her dad well um ryan dad number two dies um and and he uh and she's grieving and then she has that conversation with ace 30 30 days later and then we're initially like we're running we're being intimate with each other which is something she tends to do when she's upset which is what another reason why i didn't want that scene right there and then he dies which apparently was like not supposed to happen that's what what um temperance decides she's gonna put into that future and initially nancy decides not to kill temperance She's like, screw the town. I want my chance at love. And I was like, I get it, but I don't like how it's executed. <laughs> and when she she draws it back and it clearly weighs on her when she thinks that the people in the someone in the people might have died in the town because of her hesitation. But I was just like, y'all did not do enough with Nace to me for that to be a hesitant, sure, but to decide to sacrifice the town to be with Ace and have a future with Ace when she owned, she didn't even get 30 days. She got four hours. She went from mm. afternoon to nighttime. And mm. she was like, but our life together, is like, there's no guaranteed life together. You saw four hours of your life together. It's not the same thing. Mm. Sorry, were you going to say something, right? I was just going to agree. Like, I feel like we needed a little bit more of like actually getting what we wanted from them, getting that payoff. Because, okay, I'm been consuming way too much content this week and it's all blending together and i'm forgetting the episode already did the the scene where they hooked up was that real no no oh god i forgot that <laughs> it's a dream it happens um after she's so there's two situations when she first when um when they first find out ryan when no but it was after she killed temperance in the dream She's upset, but then Ace is like, can we, can we like have a moment? She's like, yeah. And I'm like, she just killed someone. We're going to ask how she's doing. We're not. Okay. We're just going to go straight to her feeling better by being intimate, which is something she does all the time. Then we hop and she's grieving Ryan still. Um, and then she gets to talk with Ace and he says, um, you know, you saved everybody. It's, you're a hero. And then she, they're intimate again and she feels better. And then we go on. I'm like, can Ace get, can Ace and Nancy get together in a situation in which she's not responding to trauma? Mm -hmm. I, they think that's like my main, well, right number two. <laughs> I mean, it still happened at the end too. Mm -hmm. It's still, I wasn't, ex I mean, okay. I did watch this episode. So like, I knew that the curse was coming. Like that's, I've known this since we started the series because <laughs> I watched the season three finale way out of context to see if I wanted to watch the show. It's just me. I don't know. Um, so I knew that they were the only two images I remembered from this episode were Nick running in the street, calling out for George. So when I watched this, I had no idea that they were broken up. I had no idea what the situation was. And the scene with Nancy and Ace hooking up which watching this out of context is wild because I didn't know what was real. What, what It was so confusing. And then obviously the end with the curse and then just seeing it in context now, like I just hated seeing Nancy have to say those things to Ace in order for them, for her to sever the tie. So they, so she doesn't have to deal with 
her feeling their feelings together so that she doesn't kill him by acting on her feelings like i was just like not in the mood for a tragic romance like (laughs) not in the mood for it um yeah I, i don't think i have any more thoughts beyond those i'm still like metabolizing the end of the season Mm. Um, I want to say I'm very very mixed on it I hate when they do storylines like that like but it also produces some great episodes remember Sabrina the episode 15 of the flash when uh, Barry and Iris grow close and then Barry tells Iris he's the flash and then they have their first kiss and Barry has to go back in time to stop a tidal wave and all of that is undone and then he messes everything it wasn't and then he messes everything up by saying Iris I love you by rushing everything and she's like what and so it just they messed everything up. And I feel like that's what they're going to do with Ness now. Um, and it makes sense as a convention, but I just wish we kind of didn't go there in the finale. They haven't had their actual, like, well, on-screen first kiss yet. So at the minute uh, when it cut to, like, the hookup scene, I was like, the only other time we've seen them kind of, like, this intimate was the steamy dream as well. I was like, is the show not doing first kiss with them? I just, I, I feel like the fact that it consistently skipped over that moment, I was like, yeah, this isn't real. I don't know why something about me was just telling me this is not a real moment. And the same thing with the fact that Ryan's death was skipped over. I was like, come on now. This guy has gone down so much growth and uh, been such an integral part of the show. Are you really telling me we didn't? And the have fact any time? that her calling him dad was not real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Jail. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah all of it was it was i feel like this episode needed more time um i love the fact that we didn't dance about the fact that ace was having dreams we got right into it uh they they made the deal with temperance very much uh, but i feel like if this episode had been even more effective the previous one should have ended with nancy killing temperance and Ryan dying, and then we picked up where the flashback or the flash forward started with this episode as the finale, and then what thirty five minutes into it, our world is turned upside down by like that was a flash forward. It's not real. That would have been more effective to me. But just the sudden time jump in the middle of the episode made me completely aware of the fact that none of this was real. Also, the fact that the lighting was different. It was just it kind of gave it away for me. It ruined the surprise. Um. I feel like Ryan deserved better. So I was like, the show would have given him better. So we, I, I knew it was a flash forward and that it wasn't real. So all in all, I think what they did was effective. I just think there were ways to make it more effective, if that makes sense. Um, I love the Nancy and Ace scene. The, I, I feel like it was definitely worth the wait for, but I just not sure we got there in the way I wanted us to get there, if you know what I'm saying. Okay, now that we're talking about it, I'm getting fired up, but I need to preface the things I'm going to say next with I liked the episode. I mm-hmm. liked the show. I liked the season, but it's okay to like, as a fan, be like, oh, why did this happen? I am, I've reached my quota of Ace being in danger. Mm-hmm. Even though he died in the car accident and that was not real, I was like, why am I watching Ace die again? And the him having the dream and having Charity's soul piece in him, I was like, I've reached my limit. I can't like, he's my favorite character there. I said it. He's my sweet prince. I love my ace. Stop doing that to him. (laughs) (laughs) He gets nothing. And again, he was saying to Nancy, like, I felt like I was lacking and look, I've got a new job. I've got a new apartment. And she said, you never were lacking. And I don't know. I'm just super protective of ace beyond Nace. Like at the end of the day, I don't care about that, which that's, Oh God, that's controversial. (laughs) (laughs) Like I care about Nancy and Ace separately more than I care about them together. And Mm -hmm. I, 
that shouldn't be as polarizing as it sounds, but like, I just want good things for them. And I understand this show deals in trauma a lot and deals in like, I don't, it just felt like twisty for the sake of being twisty of being like, Oh, here's another fork in their road. But as a fan, I was like, I, I wanted to see them win more before we get to this point where it's like this epic forbidden romance, because they haven't really had like, that that moment like we saw it more with park that's why i think we kind of were enjoying watching that and we do enjoy the like will there won't they with nancy and ace but i don't know i wanted a little bit more um and the scene with the fake scene with them hooking up that i like that was what i wanted it was a lot more than i thought we were gonna get um just seeing him smile and be happy like we don't see that from ace a lot so like me seeing him constantly be putting in these situations where I mean, he's not the only one like George constantly has been in danger. Um, obviously, Nancy puts herself in those situations like she took on a whole hex, like every hex and she knew that she was going to survive. But like, I don't know. I'm just like, I'm tired of watching Ace be mad at himself, nearly die, whether it's real or not. I don't, they just the, the cards they deal him. I'm like, can we shuffle the deck again? <laughs> <laughs> No, I get it though because um, not even structurally, it is a solid episode. It I is. Think... It's a great episode of television. Not to interrupt mm -hmm. you, but like I just want to make sure people know. Like I think it hits all the beats. Like we're there's, mm -hmm. we're shocked. We're like, when did this? Where is this coming from? It's a great episode of television. But like within that, we can still. Um... Anyway, continue. <laughs> well, I was gonna say it's a solid episode. I just don't like the niceness. And it's not nice. It's the structure of everything that happens. Um, and um, to your point about it being ace all the time <laughs> when something is is in danger, when um, when he woke up from the dreams, I'm like, of course it's ace. Of course it is. Why would it be anybody else mm -hmm. at this point? We're at the um, penultimate episode of the season. Nancy's finally um, ready to be in a relationship. We're going to get a roadblock. Uh, I thought like... Putting my, I'm going to put some of this to the side just to say something positive. I thought that the opening sequence of um, the episode is probably one of the best things they've ever done as they like, as they like shut off one by one what they were doing um, before they decided to confront temperance. And it was, they weren't ahead of her at all, but it was lovely seeing the Drew crew just throw themselves into this mission. They each had something important to do. Um, and the, and Nancy's just there popping donuts. <laughs> like, and we're like, clearly there's something here that you need the donuts for, because why would you keep doing that? And the, the, um, then the group realization that their plan isn't going to work out. And um, Temperance didn't actually need the copperhead for anything. She just needed him to collect what she, um, and she needed the last piece. And I thought the, um, the sequence of trying to kill her, gorgeous. Like the very simple, like special effects, but quite effective sequence of the town being flooded um, by a tsunami, also gorgeous. Like it is for me a B, uh, no, A minus. It's an A minus finale. It's the nice stuff that is bothering me. And I think it's because of what it says about the two of them. Like, if Nancy's willing to give up Horseshoe Bay's safety for Ace, I need to see that built into the ship. Like, I really, really do. That was a very heavy decision. And yes, she took it back. But to be in a position where my the potential of my life with him 
would lead me to sacrifice a whole town. When he's like, that was a lot. Like I was like, mm-hmm. okay. Um, and then um oh, what was the other part? Oh, I need Ace them to really get to the heart of why Ace feels like this, about why he feels less than. Maybe it'll be in season four, but they haven't built it yet. And I'm like, what is it? Why mm-hmm. do you I'm feel like who's who's feeding him this? I want to know because it's like Nancy is intelligent and she's amazing. She's the best private investigator in Horseshoe Bay. But young ma'am is also a waitress. You both are both in the service industry. It's not like he it's a rich to poor scenario where he would feel less than because of his class. So I don't understand why it's why why um he just feels like he's not enough for her mm-hmm. and his at the end of the day his dad threw him out in the middle of an argument which was way out of order and then the dad tried to make amends for it and fair play to ace he was like no i'm going to sort myself out now but none of that should have made him feel the way that it did so i don't understand why he still feels like that and i i did think it was very effective that the month of nancy ignoring him made him feel it accentuated what he was already feeling, but I'm still not sure I fully understand why he felt that way in the first place. We probably just needed like one line from Amanda that just like hit him mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. a ton of bricks. Um, even though that was already like a hot mess and they had their issues. I don't know. I feel like you're right. We just needed to see like one little thing that like plants the seed of insecurity because I know for me, like any insecurities I have, I can follow the thread all the way back to hear the first time someone said something to me that planted that seed and mm-hmm. it bloomed and I couldn't get rid of it. Like those, everything comes from somewhere, even if it's just like scrolling on social media and you're like, oh, that person has their life together and I'm not that. Like it always comes from somewhere. And I know it's like not in the grand scheme of things, it's not the most important thing happening in the show, but <laughs> <laughs> when it becomes something important in this in this the development of this uh couple i do think we need um a little something and also to to rewind a little bit of something you said sabrina i didn't really need ace to have the part of her soul for the stakes to be even more heightened like for me mm-hmm. the stakes were already pretty high so adding it on to be ace i was just like not one more thing mm-hmm. like as a viewer it stressed me out um but writing wise, I can see how they why they would make that decision. Like I'm sure they discussed who it would be. Would it have the same weight if it was some rando? I don't know. But for it to be Ace, I was like, I, the stakes were already scary. Blood pressure raising heights for me, so I was like, I didn't really need that. It was just one more blow to the list. I also have other things that I might just keep for us to say later (laughs) (laughs) i cannot wait Um, no uh, to go back to sticks i do want to also commend the episode for just managing to build such an end of world feel to it i did say that my biggest issue with the red death arc in the flash was she's running around the city and we're standing in star labs talking about it because we don't have the budget to show anything whereas this you got to see the tidal wave you got to see the people running away you got to see george yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. You got to see George sound off the alarm. Badass scene, by the way. Love George. Um, so much stakes in such, like, that was what, maybe two minutes of the episode before Nancy reversed the decision. But, like, you felt it. You were like, okay, finale feel. And again, so I just want to say, as a standalone episode, this was excellent. It's just some of the storyline leading up to it that ended up holding it back in the end. But I do think as a finale, it functioned incredibly well. Mm. So can we talk about the prophecies? Mm-hmm. They haven't come true, right? They just like no, they did. Can... did they? Yeah. So when they're reading it at the end, um, they're showing us each 
person. So um, oh, I wish I remembered the order of the thing, but um, George is the one who betrayed her true love by going back on their relationship. Um, that was confusing because she looked at the shop window and saw a ring and I didn't know it was like, I was like, is that her ring? Did Nick mm-hmm. pawn it? Oh, it was her ring. Mm-hmm. So Nick did pawn it. Yes. So he could, um, I guess, redo that, the, the um, basketball court. And he gave up. So that was the, someone gives up something that means something to them. That was Nick. Um, oh, okay. See, oh, I was okay. confused by the prophecy because I thought the, the scenes over the voiceover was like, this is how they are going to come true. I didn't realize they did come true. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's also confusing because um, the prophecies weren't as weighty as we thought they were going to be. So mm-hmm. like someone, what was it? Someone brings chaos to the town that was best with the truth serum. Like, and I was like, uh... oh. Okay. I mean, it makes sense, but it was almost so subtle I missed her. I thought it was gonna, I thought it was foretelling, like, oh, she's the historical society person now and she's gonna flop. That's what I thought too, <laughs> until she mentioned the truth serum and she was closing the box. I was like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah, and it true. feels like maybe it's gonna come back or something because mm-hmm. she was like putting it away and it's like, that's not gonna work out for you, but good luck. <laughs> uh, and then um, I think Nancy was fulfilling destiny to the fall of everybody else which uh which she was now has one, history like, investigations yeah but wasn't one like one will be the others undoing or demise or something and it's nancy and ace uh it might be nancy and ace or it might be ryan i don't remember who it was over because ryan made a trade with that random magical couple mm. that he thought was kidnapped in the first him. car yeah <laughs> So like that's gonna be in season four for sure. So um so that might be him or it might be Nancy and Ace. I'm not really sure, but I think the voiceover was over his scene, so it would have been him. Um interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll find out in the comments because our brains are swirling with everything that happened. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it is so much. I think um what else happens? Oh, Nick okay, Nick's parents are in Horseshoe Bay. And then yeah. he's going to Florida. That's real. I don't understand why he's going to Florida. I think healing. I think because he hasn't been back since um, since he was in juvie, I think is what they're saying. So he's going to go back to Florida to do some healing because he felt guilty about the kids. He just felt a lot of guilt about everything else that's happened in town. And Addie managed to get him to not sign over the entirety of the youth center to her. So it has an open clause that when he, if he wants to come back, you can um, subsume the lead of it. I don't quite understand that because I don't know how you sign over an entire youth center to your um, your one. Wasn't she a volunteer? <laughs> your one volunteer for the past 14 days. But OK. And then Bess is historical society keeper. And mm-hmm. George is um, going to take classes at the community college. At least that's the path that Nancy put her on very happy about that george is going to be the best lawyer that hershey bay has ever seen Mm -hmm. definitely so excited for her about that it was really interesting by the way that nancy got to say that's again something you'd see on the flash how the future didn't play out exactly the way it did in her dream because she changed a few things so she was kind of annoyed that george wasn't following the law route so she had to kind of convince her to do that and then Bess was going to assume the historical society even though in the previous one timeline 
she didn't want to do that. So it is interesting to see how it's all playing out. And you almost couldn't tell from the whole sense of melancholy whether Nancy was happy that things were playing out differently or she was sad that they were playing out differently. And I know that stems from the fact that her and Ace can't be together, but it was it was an interesting approach because they're like, am I supposed to be happy that Bess is committing herself to all these supernatural entities for the rest of her existence? Or would I prefer her to go and take a supernatural break? You know what I mean? There's a lot of emotional gravity in that scene. Yeah, Bess was the one that kind of tripped me up because like in the dream when she was like, oh, I'm not going to do it. I was like, that's probably the good, that's probably Mm -hmm. the best option. And Mm -hmm. then in the reality, she doesn't do that. It was the only one that kind of felt like Nancy was kind of like, huh? We're Mm -hmm. not doing it or we're doing it. Um, that was the only one that I was kind of like, I don't know how Nancy feels about that. I don't know if that's a good thing. Yeah, she let it, she left it open. I'm surprised she, because she convinced George to go the path that she dreamed, but she didn't convince Bess to go the path that she dreamed, which was, hmm. I don't know what that says about, like, if Nancy was just going to stay out of that one um, or not. I guess we'll figure that one out. Um later i guess in season four it is interesting i mean they need her there <laughs> everyone's neatly in the boxes they need to be in i think george's box worked better than everybody else's but george mm-hmm. is gonna learn law things best is at the historical society and ace is at the morgue <laughs> all of nancy's close people <laughs> with exception to nick have some something that she's eventually going to need as mm-hmm. an investigator which is very interesting i know Ace said that he loves his job at the morgue and there was a lot of talk about the morgue, but I don't remember him ever saying that he, that that was like a dream or that's something that he really wanted was to work at the morgue. I feel like that came later. He randomly Mm. was applying, right? I don't know. I think so. Because when he he said it, I was like, oh, I feel like that's going to be such a perfect job for him. I just feel like he'll nail it there. But it wasn't that, it didn't feel that out of the blue for me. Like maybe someone's had a conversation about it at some point, if you know what I mean. Mm. Well, I know he was supposed to, I forget the morgue man's name, but he, oh, him, he said yeah. missed an interview. That's I right. Said, oh, Ace wants to work at the morgue. Have we had morgue lines? We're going to go with it. That was <laughs> what, is, is what I decided while watching. Um, but I don't know. I, I For me, the series finale is a mixed bag. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's not series finale. Season three finale um, is mm-hmm. a mixed bag, but mostly for nice things. Everything else I actually quite enjoyed. And I hope Nace gets um real content uh that happens in Nancy's real world in season in season four and that this curse thing. Can we manifest middle of the season that it's finished? Hey, okay, wait. This reminded me when she's having the conversation with Carson in Icarus Hall, her new HQ, which I have questions about, but that's really not important. <laughs> she he was like saying like I, the gist of it I felt like was like you're keeping this to yourself. And I had the same questions. I was like, Nancy, why don't you just tell Bess? Why aren't you guys like think tanking how to break the curse? Mm-hmm. That was my like, I was like, you're just going to take it. That's not the Nancy I know. Mm, that's true. And also the, the, um, the boundaries of the curse, there is no, um, she doesn't have to do smoke signals or write on pads. She can just say it because the boundaries of the curse is just, if you act on your feelings, he will die. It may not be a car crash. It may not be a disease, but it'll be something. And you won't know when it will hit him. He has an expiration date, which is um, which is interesting. So she could just find whatever that is, whatever curse yeah. um, that is. I don't know if we need that bug that flew out of Temperance's mouth. You have to go track that down <laughs> in the woods. Um, or But I mean, like, I feel what? like Bess, Bess has her books. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just felt like we've done worse. We've dealt with wor- worse things and we've like studied. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I thought maybe that's going to come. Maybe Nancy wasn't ready. Maybe she was just like, I forfeit. I surrender. I'll just open up my little investigation business in my great aunt's haunted mansion. <laughs> <laughs> what was it you said, Reed, a couple of a couple of months ago? So many things can be solved by just one conversation. And I feel like they really could have talked about that. Um, but yeah, I, the scene between Nancy and Carson, beautiful. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, if she, if she had got run right to Bess, we wouldn't have gotten Kennedy's performance in that episode. Mm-hmm. So like, I got to count my blessings. You know? <laughs> Take the good with the bad. <laughs> that Carson, that speech with her dad, I mean... That would be what you would want, you know, your parent to tell you when you're struggling with something like that. I mean, the acknowledgement that her mom is her dad's soulmate, um, the beauty of um, not just having one soulmate in your life, uh, um, the desire to move forward after losing hurt my a great feelings, love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they were like, she might move on. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> this is a lot all at once. <laughs> and then the graves. Can we talk about mm. the graves? Zombies, maybe. Fingers crossed. Kind of like <laughs> She's going to have to call Ace, though. Oh, for sure. Morgue man. Yeah. Morgue man. Mm-hmm. Body's missing. Like, that's your natural <laughs> first call, right? <laughs> I don't think so. How rude of that caller. Nancy just set up her own office so that she wouldn't have to deal with things like this. And he's like, meet me in the graveyard. Like, come on now. <laughs> we must know who the person is, though, because they changed their voice. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. I, I did not expect that ending. I don't, and also the fact they didn't turn up. So obviously she was supposed to see the graves like that. But I lied I, earlier. I remembered the scene. I remembered the ending. Okay, I lied. This is. <laughs> I feel like it's set. It's set of a very funny se- or a very strange season four. Um, could Nancy Drew doing zombies could be funny? Although we did see what there was one episode of a little while ago where there was a haunted zombie. So maybe that's a sign of things to come. Yes, but Beanie Watch. Beanie was on. Mm-hmm. She had the cashmere hat on yes. when she went I, That in. didn't even click with me until yeah. I saw it just now. <laughs> <laughs> We're back. Does this mean aggression? It might mean... She's on her own. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, Nancy. Gotta get the dream crew on the panel. Can I just say, though, <laughs> that even if... I feel like this operated as both the season finale and, like, a like an open-ended series finale like mm-hmm. if the series ended here i would have been like she's still going to be dealing with all this stuff and that's mm-hmm. that's natural i feel like that was that would be an okay ending obviously we want more because we have so many questions but this would have been like a serve cliffhanger ending mm-hmm. it would have been I, the shippers would have been pitchforks which is understandable but the, oh yeah mine would have been i would have been like preheating it in the oven and but it was very, it was kind of like Batwoman and the, the adventures will always continue. That's exactly how Batwoman ended with a series finale like that. So it definitely had that. But of course, there would be the big Ness thing. The will Nick and George get back together? The what is Bess actually doing? Has she made the right choice? There's definitely questions left. But yeah, I agree. It's the kind of cliffhanger that you would have been. I mean, the drama aside, as far as the Nancy Drew stories goes, it's the kind of cliffhanger ending you've been very happy with because the adventures will always go on even when we're not watching them. Mm, true. But thankfully, we do have a season four. Um, I am going to, I can't paraphrase, we're going to read some of this, but um, so apparently in season four, we're going to launch into a new investigation of a group of missing bodies, the bodies that were missing in the season, the season three finale. Um, 
they go missing in Horseshoe Bay in the cemetery, and they've either been dug up and stolen or have risen, hence why we want zombies, or at least I want zombies. Um, so <laughs> she's she's drawn to this case uh, in a string of unexplained paranormal crimes that lead the Drew crew, so thankfully her team is still going to be intact for her, to believe that the literal sins of the town's past have returned to haunt the living, which that sounds amazing. Um, meanwhile, as Nancy struggles, as uh, she yearns for Ace, the man she loves, she also develops a slow burning attraction between uh, what's well, between her and um, the son of Ryan Hudson's newest enemies, which, you know, we don't need it, but we're there. And then Nancy must decide whether this love interest is worth the ire of both her father and Ace. I wonder which father I'm assuming Ryan. Yeah. Hmm. You know? And oh, Ace is also going to be tempted by, or might be tempted by, a new relationship, which again, don't need it. And Nancy um, exploits her exploits this season will bring the Drew crew to numerous standalone cases, stunning twists, humor, and unexpected romances. Oh, that scares me. Who's <laughs> who's, <laughs> who's going to unexpectedly be put together <laughs> um, in her efforts to protect her seaside town from the sins of its past? Backfire. Oh, when when it backfires, she must do the unthinkable to save her friends from both the supernatural and earthbound threats coming for them. And it could cost no. her everything and everyone she's ever loved. No, 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 no. The... Do you remember what I said in season one when what? she was the thing with her mom? Yes. And I we got swear, it. But... If she sacrifices herself in the season, I'd be so mm -hmm. mad at myself. <laughs> I'm so mad at them. I don't like that last line of this. I don't like it. I'm scared. <laughs> but I do. I like it says standalone mysteries because that's something that we asked yeah. for and that we mm -hmm. wanted and that we missed in season three. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I'll focus on that instead and ignore that the last sentence exists <laughs> and what and that the, could imply. <laughs> and the Nancy Drew investigation set up as the perfect thing for some standalone cases like Angel, private investigator. I, I hope we get to see more of them and that is not just a single 13 episode story. Oh, I hope so. I hope we get a film noir style episode for her. And I'd love if we did a um if we did an homage to like original Nancy. Like mm. uh, not like a would they do a time warp in the last season that brings us to the sixties? They may. But it'd be I'd interesting. I mean, I that. hope we have some like weird screwball episodes in the mm -hmm. final season. Like now's the time. Do what you gotta do. Musical episode. Fun because uh, Kennedy can sing. Yes. So I would love it. Her talents are endless. <laughs> they are. Oh, um, I misspoke. That wouldn't be the 60s. It'd be the 30s, right? For Nancy Drew. That's about when she showed up, right? My knowledge so. of Nancy Drew begins and ends with this show. So. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's well, vague, but that's about it. <laughs> oh, okay. And before we end the pod, manifesting hardy boy things. I really need mm. Ace to be a hardy boy. I've latched on to this theory and I cannot let it go. <laughs> and it really will be as well. I know. I want the last name reveal in the last episode. I think that'd be oh, so I know. cool. That would be fingers crossed. Please. Guys, we well, made it to the up. end of Nancy. We did it. We did it. <laughs> we did it. As the great scholars five seconds of summer once said, how did we end up here? <laughs> <laughs> and that's where we're going to end it. <laughs> so thank you for listening. Where to see W Spiral. I'm Sabrina. I'm Micah. And I'm Reed. <laughs> Bye. Sit.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.